1: The tall, handsome Estonian with blonde hair and tanned skin walked confidently through the baggage hall in Dublin Airport. He headed for the luggage belt where bags from his Alicante flight were beginning to emerge. He waited patiently until he saw his rucksack plonk onto the carousel and snake its way around towards him. He'd packed a tent, a little camping stove, fishing rods, binoculars... A ground sheet and even a sleeping bag. And he looked every bit a nature lover who enjoyed holidays in the great outdoors. Despite his celebrity as an international hitman for hire, Imre Arrakis was confident that nobody would know him in Ireland and that he could pass himself off as an ordinary tourist. After all, he was a regular visitor now and he did actually like to fish. But as always, business would have to come before pleasure. His paymaster for this trip was Daniel Kinnahan, the son of Christy Kinnahan Senior and Director General of the Irish Mafia on the Costa del Sol, where Arrakis lived. He'd worked for them before and he'd always been paid swiftly and efficiently on completion of a job. Kinnahan had told him that he'd nothing to worry about when it came to the Irish Guardie. They were disorganised, he'd said, and too busy with a string of murder investigations to know anything about his latest secret weapon, Arrakis. It was April 2017, 14 months into the feud Kinnahan was waging in Ireland. Eleven murders had been linked to the fallout, nine of which had happened on home turf. As a result, a large number of valued Kinnahan hitmen were in custody or on the run, the most recent murder had taken place the previous December when Noel Duckegg Egg Kerwin had been murdered in the driveway of his home. Daniel Kinnahan had been frustrated with the calibre of victims and he was desperate now for a big scalp. For Arrakis, that meant a bonus payday of €100,000 once he got his target. Kinnahan's arch-nemesis and hutch loyalist, James Mago Gately. And if he could pick off another, he'd been told to double that. Arrakis threw his rucksack over his shoulder and headed out of the airport terminal. He looked left and right. Then he crossed the road where buses lined up to take passengers to the city centre. He boarded one and sat at the back, looking out the window as he ran over his plot to kill in his head. Just as the bus began to pull out, one last passenger hopped on. If Arrakis had been more observant, he may have noticed that the thin man in casual clothes had no bag, that he was alone, hurried and out of place. Even if he had noticed him, would he have known that this final passenger hadn't flown in from a faraway destination? Could he have guessed that this man was in fact an undercover detective. Just hours previous, officers at the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau had received a call to let them know that Arrakis was on his way. They'd scrambled to get someone in place. As the bus pulled away, the last passenger sat down and caught his breath. Then he took out his phone and typed a message. Have eyes on him, boss. We're headed towards town. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Do you remember actually the first time we heard of Imre Arrakis when he was arrested and rumours floating around that an international hitman had come into Ireland with a a tent on his back and had been lifted in an attempt to shoot James Mago Gately. It was in the middle of a mad time anyway.
0: Yeah, it was the middle of a mad time and there was a lot of uh, kind of propaganda, I suppose, going on 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 social media. It just sounded unlikely that there was this sort of international hitman, organised criminal James Bond villain. It just, it sounded sort of unlikely, but in fact, Imre Arrakis' personal story is even more bizarre than anything that you could have imagined even at that point. It's even more colourful and unlikely, really.
1: On a cold winter's night in November 2015, two years before Arrakis had arrived in Dublin, the leader of a Lithuanian organised crime group was ambushed. Dimantas Bugavicius had been under surveillance for months, while a skilled hit team from neighbouring Estonia worked out where best to shoot and kill the larger-than-life dealer with the celebrity girlfriend. That November night, Bugavisius, nicknamed Diamond, was shot beside his mistress, the well-known pop star Vita Jakutien. The extraordinary tale played out across the Lithuanian media, appearing in both the crime columns and the celebrity gossip columns. The 28-year-old Diamond was assassinated at a rental property he frequented, while the Barbie doll look-alike from the girl group New Puppets looked on in horror. The couple had just pulled in through the security gates of the private apartment complex when he was killed. After the murder, it emerged Jacutien had been secretly recorded during her affair with Diamond, and high-tech recording equipment was discovered in her BMW car and at the apartment. The pop star had gone on to have the murdered gangster's child, her third, before reuniting with her husband, the father of her other two offspring. Reports from Lithuania first suggested that Jaku had got out of the car at the time of the shooting. Later reports stated she was in the Mercedes when a gunman approached and pumped 10 bullets into her gangster boyfriend's body. It had even been claimed that the bullets missed her by a hair's breadth, whizzing past her perfectly groomed blonde locks. There was huge coverage of the daylight murder, largely because of Jakutien, a huge star in the Baltics. For police, the killing was clearly a professional hit. Diamond was struck in the chest and neck and was dead within minutes. His masked assailant made a clean getaway. The murder inquiry was first conducted by Lithuanian police, but six months into their probe, they called in the help of the organised crime bureau of the Central Criminal Police of Estonia. Ego Lees, head of the CCP, would later tell an interviewer, Estonians have contacts all over the world and criminal agreements and decisions are made abroad, but the consequences reach us. This is the case, for example, with drug crime, where the purchase and sale of cocaine or cannabis is concluded on the sunny coast of Spain or on a side street in Amsterdam and Estonia is used as a transit country. Unfortunately, Estonians have also exported their talent for contract killing. We prevent international organised crime in cooperation with the police from other countries. We need to trust each other and exchange information promptly to apprehend criminals who operate outside their home countries. The Estonians had got to work on identifying the assassins, and a year after the murder of Diamond, deep in the underworld, the cops' contacts came good. Three names were handed up. Arle Grabby, Hans-Erik Evert and Imre Arrakis. Investigators had begun to work backwards, tracking their movements and travel, analysing their phone data and piecing together a puzzle of what had happened on the night of the murder. Neither Evert or Grabi were known to police. With no major convictions, they were friends who shared an unusual hobby of medieval night tournaments which saw them train in combat while dressed in suits of armour. With the help of their European policing partners, the Estonians were able to see that both men had spent a lot of time in Lithuania in the run-up to the murder of Diamond. They had never travelled together, and each time they made the journey, they left their mobile phones at home in Estonia and used rental cars. On the same night that Diamond was killed, police discovered the car they were driving had been set alight in a yard. It had been stolen from France several months earlier, meaning the pair had done a lot to cover their tracks and not to get caught. While they remained under surveillance, the investigation continued and focused on the third man, Arrakis. Not only was he well known to police, but he'd built up quite a reputation for himself as a, well, as a celebrity gangster. Heading into his 60s, Arrakis... ...had a very colourful past. He'd spent a lengthy period in a Soviet prison known as a Gulag... ...where conditions were notoriously bad. In 1979, in his 20s... ...he and a friend broke into a shooting club in Tallinn... ...and stole 13 handguns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition... Arrakis was quickly arrested, but he escaped from the courthouse, evading authorities by jumping from the viewing platform and falling 30 feet to freedom. He was arrested again 87 days later and sentenced to 15 years in jail, mostly in a high-security Russian facility. After his release from prison in 1991, he joined an Estonian organised crime gang and they'd taken part in a feud with a Russian outfit that killed over a hundred people. Arrakis himself was nearly killed on more than one occasion and had plenty more brushes with the law, spending periods in jail for arms possession amongst other offences. Linked to rackets and organised crime, he was last in court in Tallinn in 2011, where he was one of three men accused of attempting to frame an Estonian businessman for ordering the murder of a rival. He was charged in connection with a fake contract killing, but he struck a plea bargain and served just 14 months behind bars. By that point, Arrakis had spent decades moving across Europe. In 1998, he'd left Estonia for Spain, where he survived another assassination attempt in Marbella. On the Costa, he was part of a large network of Eastern European criminals. And it was there he really honed his specialised skills. It was there that he became a professional hitman who police believed had carried out murders for a variety of gangs all over the continent. His expertise lay in the way he stalked his targets. He often worked alone and liked to get up close to his victims. Arrakis didn't like to make mistakes. He had pride in his work. As Estonian police tracked Arrakis' movements in the aftermath of the Diamond assassination, they could see that he was visiting Ireland, throughout 2016 and 2017. Hitmen have hobbies too, and Arrakis was undoubtedly a fishing enthusiast, but with Ireland in the grip of a gangland feud, and the Kinnehan's believed to be one of the groups who'd previously used his services, nothing could be left to chance. A meeting was organised with Gardi through the Europol and Eurojust platforms to oversee any legal cooperation needed. The next time he headed for Dublin, whether it was to fish or kill, the hitman nicknamed The Butcher would be placed under surveillance. Arrakis spoke to nobody on the bus. The 59-year-old veteran criminal was working on the promise of one of the biggest paydays he'd ever see. 100,000 euro in cash for Gately. And he could double his money if he could also manage to take out Patsy Hutch, the most senior member of the Hutch family group living under a ring of steel in the north inner city. As he considered the windfall unknown to him, a large guard of surveillance operation was in place. From their base in Dublin Castle, officers from the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau were staying in close contact with their undercover officers as Arrakis rode the bus into town and others got in place along the route. Underestimating the guardee and the new wave of information sharing among European police forces was about to cost the underworld, one of its most experienced assassins. In the city centre, Arrakis hopped off the bus and walked up and turned right at the top of O'Connell Street. He headed towards Champions Avenue, where Patsy Hutch's home remained under guard of protection more than a year after the Regency hotel attack had challenged the power of the Kinnahan organisation in Ireland. With his rucksack on his back he walked up and down the road, taking in the area, its proximity to the bustling O'Connell Street and the roads merging onto it. He wandered up to Avondale House where Gareth Hutch had been shot dead by Kinnahan killers the previous May. As Arrakis staked out his hunting ground, the man responsible for Hutch's murder, Jonathan Kyo, remained on the run. Kyo and another shooter had followed Hutch into the car park at the front of the complex, where they'd run up behind him and pumped four bullets into the back of his head. Arrakis examined the area and looked around where they had planned their getaway. Then he turned and he wandered down towards the Sunset House, the pub where Eamon Cumberton had worn a Freddy Krueger mask when he killed barman Michael Barr. Cumberton was then in custody awaiting trial. Arrakis had a good look around the scene of the murder before strolling off towards Sean McDermott Street, another area where Hutch family members and their associates live. After his two-hour walking tour of the North Inner City's murder scenes, Arrakis went back towards O'Connell Street and onto Moore Street where he went into a shop and purchased a wig and a mirror. At 8.20pm... Arrakis was observed by officers as he stood outside Barry's Hotel where a van emblazoned with Blakestown tires pulled up. They watched as Arrakis got in and immediately the officers on his tail knew they were literally having a view to a kill. from the Eastern European police forces wasn't random. Estonian and Lithuanian state prosecutors had signed a treaty known as Operation Grey Eye at the end of September 2016. Later, Polish colleagues joined the joint investigation team. Numerous meetings had taken place in Tallinn, Kaunas, Valencia, The Hague and elsewhere in the following years. The primary target was a highly professional and dangerous international organised crime group of which Arrakis was a member. The gang were involved in cigarette and drug trafficking and they had assassins to hire to anyone who was willing to pay the fees commanded. The UK and Spanish police were also involved as the operation to take down the group, codenamed Icebreaker, became the biggest of its kind in Europe. At the same time, Irish Gardaí were working tirelessly with their European counterparts to dismantle the Kinahan organised crime group, who for decades had been headquartered in Spain, but whose command had moved to Dubai. The Netherlands too were fighting their own homegrown group, known as the Macro Mafia, which had reached deep into mainland Europe and beyond. At the same time that Arrakis had boarded his flight to Dublin, Daniel Kinnahan was planning his wedding which would take place in the summer of 2017 at the Burj Al Arab Hotel in Dubai. There, the United States DEA carried out a huge surveillance operation which established that the Italian Mafia, the Dutch and the Irish had joined with their Eastern European counterparts to form a super cartel. In the history of Europe and indeed of organised crime, there had never been a time when cooperation was better between police forces. All across Europe, they were communicating on a daily basis about their targets and they were meeting regularly to discuss information sharing. Such was the level of togetherness that it was not uncommon for foreign colleagues to be informed about the latest leads, even in the middle of their sleep.
0: But I think at that point, the Kinnaghan cartel had really three three to four main targets uh, Jerry Hutch, Patsy Hutch, Mago Gately in particular, they were the people that they wanted to kill and, you know, maybe then draw the feud to a close as having proven that they were all powerful and untouchable. People that were really quite, you know, at the edges of the feud seemed to have been getting killed. And then there was people who were just absolutely, totally nothing to do with it, were getting killed in in, in the case of mi- mistaken identity. So Arrakis, they obviously felt he was you know not on the Garda radar but also that he would be capable of doing what they what they couldn't rely on the normal guys at Dublin city center to do.
1: Stephen Fowler was driving the van. At 60 he was well known to gardaí. His son Eric was listed as an associate of the Kinahan organisation. In 2012 The older Fowler had pleaded guilty to possession of cannabis worth 450,000 euro and he'd served six years of an eight-year sentence. At the Fowler home at Blakestown Cottages, Arrakis had bedded down for the night, unaware that the property was being surrounded by officers. He'd a big day ahead and he wanted to be bright and fresh. The murder of James Gately in Newry, a border town 60 miles from Dublin and 30 miles from Belfast was to be the Kinnahan cartel's trophy kill in their feud with the Hutch faction. No expense would be spared. A tracker had already been placed on Gately's car and Arrakis wanted to see for himself the layout of the apartment complex where he was living in hiding, he thought, from the Kinnahan group. There were a few loose ends to tie up before Arrakis finalised his plan. A few seemingly minor details that he wanted to be sure of. And he wanted a silencer so he'd get away before anyone knew what had happened. At 11.25am, Arrakis was up and standing beside the single bed when the doors burst open and he found himself surrounded by Gardee. The BlackBerry phone he'd been using the day before was on the couch beside him as well as a piece of paper with Estonian writing on it and the words James Gately in Nuri scrawled in English. When the Estonian from the note was translated, it read Eight row, second picture visible. The mirror, which had been purchased the previous day, was found in a bag, as well as a bundle of euro and sterling. The BlackBerry phone was an encrypted device which was password protected, so its contents would prove difficult to access. Controlled by an administrator, the guardie knew that it would be remotely wiped as soon as word got out that the plot had been busted. But one officer, Garda Sean O'Neill, quickly got out his own phone and started photographing the thread of messages still open on the BlackBerry. He collected all he could, even as the messages started to disappear, capturing the conversations between four usernames. Ow New, Knife, Bond 4 and Bond New Later Detective Inspector David Gallagher would read in court the secret messages planning the attempt to kill Gately The first was from user Knife to Bond New on April 4th at 1.12pm It read The car exits the rear of this building from a shutter which opens up and down from a buzzer There's a ball camera above the entrance Champagne Colour Toyota Avensis. His parking space is as soon as the shutter opens directly in front of you. There's a gym. He drives most days. He seems to go to nuri and back. The next message was from user Bon New at 10.17am to user Knife and read, OK, and where can we see photos of him? The next message was from user Knife at one twelve pm to user bon New and read For the picture, go into Google, write James Gately, Dublin. Go into Images, the eighth line of pictures. It's the second picture in. He has a black suit on and when he clicks on picture, it has James Gately wrote under picture. It's a clear picture of him. These messages had been forwarded from Bond 4 to the Arrakis phone at 11.31am on April 4th and were consequently found on it by Gardaí, the Special Criminal Court would hear.
0: When the guards landed on the scene, they found this phone open and that really led to a treasure trove of information and really showed how uh, carefully planned, well organised and highly directed this
1: operation was going to be. The next message from Arrakis' device to Ow New at one57 PM read Well I go to internet soon and have a look. My plan was actually to go there tomorrow and for a day or two to see the situation in real. Then perhaps I get a better plan. So far, in case I'm totally alone, it seems it's possible to take him down when he comes out of car. It's based on Google Map Pictures. Then there was an open car park behind the house but if they closed it the situation is another. If not at the car then on his way to the front door. There were huge advertisements on the way and looked like it's possible to hide behind. The whole problem there is that there is nowhere to hide. Especially you wait for the moment he comes out of the door. Also silencer would be good but especially it is good if the dog is really accurate because if the picture in Google is the same, that in real life it could be just one shot to the head from the distance and that's it. Also, there is a trick that won't allow him to close the front door behind him and I could follow him to the corridor, but it only works when the door frame is metallic. But by the picture it looks plastic, but I see there what I can do. Best regards. The final message from Bond 4 to Arrakis' device at 12.05pm read, We have a tracker on his car, so my idea is when he goes out to car, we know he's coming back. We track him live when he's heading back to his apartment. When he's 10 minutes away, he get in position and he parks in the same space always, so then you have him. Detective Inspector Gallagher would tell the court that the time was based on the time zone of the particular user. He said, information on the handwritten note found tallied with the evidence. On the back of the page were 15-digit code numbers written alongside the usernames, which would have been the codes needed to enter the phone. Arrakis' fingerprint was found on the page. Assistance from the PSNI in the investigation would confirm that Gately was residing at the apartment block detailed in the messages. A tracking device was later found under his car. The champagne-colored Toyota Avensis. It had been placed there on March 30th, 2017. CCTV footage showed that the occupants of a blue Peugeot van, later identified as members of the Kinnahan organization, were responsible for placing it on Gately's car after they had taken the ferry from Birmingham to Ireland on March 28th, 2017.
0: More than anything, the the, the story shows how by at that stage and um, the kinin cartel had really become a, an international gang that the preceding maybe 20 years um although they controlled the drug trade in Ireland with an absolute iron grip really the bulk of their of their 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 business was uh, as part of an international cartel really based in Europe and being at the top of that cartel they really had drawn these very, very close ties with, with Eastern European gangs, with um, obviously the, the drug trafficking operations in Holland, um, the, the Morocco Mafia. Arrakis fit in as part of that, as part of an Eastern uh, European gang that were also based in Marbella. All these people had congregated to to Marbella and Arrakis had been acting as muscle for that gang in Marbella and I'd been obviously travelling around Europe picking off targets that were that hits were put on them by these by these drugs gangs
1: With Arrakis safely in custody in Ireland senior officers from the Gardaí shared their news with their Lithuanian and Estonian counterparts whose information had proved vital in saving Gately's life As he awaited trial, Lithuania told the Irish government that they wanted Arrakis for a murder once the justice system in Ireland was finished with him. Less than a year after his arrest, the High Court endorsed a European arrest warrant and agreed that he would be transferred to the Baltic state once dealt with in Ireland. Charged with conspiracy to murder Gately, Arrakis gave a bizarre interview to a newspaper in his native Estonia conducted in a series of letters from jail. In it, he denied he'd anything to do with the murder plot, saying he didn't know Gately. He also denied that he was an international hitman or that he was ever called the butcher. He described his prison conditions in Ireland as being surprisingly good, revealing how he had a job behind bars fixing televisions and computers. The food, he said, was top-notch. Despite his protestations of innocence, Arrakis pleaded guilty in court and was sentenced to six years in prison for his role in the would-be hit. In court, his lawyer, Michael Bowman, said his client had been penalised harshly for the offences he'd committed in Estonia and had got himself involved in a separatist movement to cast off Russian oppression the court heard Arrakis' health had suffered in Ireland and that he'd had a stroke episode in prison and had to be fitted with a device to monitor his heart. Judges at the special criminal court were told that a significant five-figure sum of money was to be paid to Arrakis for the hit, but that he also owed a debt which was considerably larger than the amount he was going to be paid. That would have to be set against the figure. In mitigating factors, Mr. Bowman asked the court to consider that his client, an ex-wrestler, had two children and had received a lot of lengthy sentences in Russia, which had scarred him deeply. Another factor in mitigation, Mr. Bowman said, was Arrakis' guilty plea and the fact he had acknowledged his role during Garda interviews. Mr. Bowman submitted to the court that his client had found his period in custody difficult because his health was failing and because he was a foreign national. The Defence counsel said a Governor's report from Leach Prison stated that Arrakis was a model prisoner and was serving his sentence in a segregation block. He was not at the apex of the organisation and had no actor part in the operational part of it concluded Mr. Bowman, adding that his client was willing to leave Ireland as soon as he was released from custody. The hulking figure of the six-foot-something Estonian with long silver hair and piercing blue eyes was always a sight to behold during his appearances in Irish courtrooms. He looked like he had walked straight off a James Bond set, a vaguely unkempt Max Zorin-type character who 007 would discover was the product of Nazi medical experimentation. His nickname, The Butcher, only added to his air of menace. A survivor of the Cold War and of the notorious gulags, an international hitman who'd washed up on our shores, he was like a character dreamed up in a work of fiction. But his end was none too Hollywood. Hollywood. And neither was that of the Kinnahan fixer who'd given him a bed for the night. Eighteen months after he was nabbed in Eric Fowler's home, the drug dealer was assassinated in a murder suspected of being sanctioned by the Kinahan mob, who were embarrassed by the Arrakis arrest and determined to save face on the international scene.
0: Like, obviously, America, Arrakis had had ties with the very top level of, of criminal criminal that the, the Kinahans were relying on. Some of it for logistics. Some of these Eastern European gangs are heavily involved in the logistics of moving cocaine from South America to Europe for the Kinahan cartel in association with them. Imre Arrakis was part of their inner circle. And for him to end up getting caught red-handed, really, and quite s- simply, I know it wasn't simple, but to Daniel Kinahan in particular, it is believed that caused him a great level of embarrassment, that in a sense that that he couldn't even look after things in his home his home turf. That sense of him not being in control or not being somebody that could be trusted. So that that caused embarrassment for them. And it's not a, it was a not an embarrassment of something going wrong in Dublin, but it was something going wrong on the big
1: stage. But if Arrakis wasn't peculiar enough in his own right, it seemed his boss who European police forces say is linked to the Kinnahan cartel, well, he's even stranger than fiction. In May 2019, as Arrakis languished in Portlaoise prison, fixing television sets and enjoying the cuisine, a massive operation coordinated by Europol saw the arrest of more than 20 members of his mob. Operation Grey Eye concluded with the arrest of the wheelchair-bound alleged patron of what was described as the biggest criminal gang in Eastern Europe. Arrakis was right at the top of the structure and for years had worked alongside Sergis Bejlikas, the multi-millionaire paraplegic suspected of running the show. If Arrakis was Bon Zurin, then... Bejlikas could be mistaken for the even more sinister Blofeld, the wheelchair bound criminal mastermind with aspirations of world domination. In an extraordinary interview with El Espanol, Bejlikas said he was in a physiotherapy clinic near his mansion on the Costa del Sol on May 16th when officers came to arrest him. And of course, he insisted his fortune was entirely legal. During the interview, He said he was told he was detained for his role in a gang involved in money laundering and drug trafficking, which Europol believe made 680 million in just two years. Agents from countries including Portugal, Lithuania, Spain and the UK had netted diamonds, cash, gold bars and luxury cars worth in excess of 8 million euro during the search of 40 properties linked to the gang. At the Bejlikas mansion in Sierra Blanca near Marbella, they'd found safes filled with jewels, cash and gold. They discovered 90 encrypted mobile phones and during the search there was nobody home except a hairless Sphinx cat and a collection of dogs. I was never an angel, Bejlikas told El Español. I know that in my country they want to kill me. I like money very much. I do not hide it. I know it's a very serious issue, but I neither kill nor traffic with drugs. Polish authorities at the centre of the probe have said that Bezlikas leads the gang who trade in cocaine and hash and launder the money in Poland. In addition, they believe that the gang has in house Estonian assassins to kill their Lithuanian rivals. Bezlikas has so far denied all accusations. Saying he's been wheelchair bound for 22 years, the result of a car accident. In his interview, he revealed that he was then having back reconstruction surgery. Posing in his wheelchair and with his cat Phoenix on his knee, he said, no, I cannot lead an international band in my personal situation. How do I do it? I insist I'm not an angel, but I do not traffic with drugs or send anyone to murder. I deserve to go with my family wherever I please. He said years of hard work had afforded him his €4 million Euro Spanish property and the other trappings of wealth. Work, yes, years of effort, he said. Lithuanian Police Commissioner General Linus Pernavus has said that it was the murder of Diamond that led to the gang's exposure. The individuals are suspected of having organised and carried out the aforementioned murder and also of having possession of firearms and narcotic substances, having organised the smuggling of arms and narcotic substances and also of money laundering, he said. In June of 2022, Arrakis gave evidence via video link from Portleach Prison to the Diamond murder trial where the two Estonians, Grabby and Evert, were found guilty along with the Lithuanian man, Ricardos Baca, who was found to have assisted them. Still fighting extradition for his own pre-trial investigation, he sported a mullet hairdo and it looked like prison was taking its toll as he spoke to the court. According to evidence presented in the case, Arrakis had travelled to the city of Kaunas, along with the Estonians, and stayed in an apartment rented by Baika, a former boxer. Police said they'd found Arrakis' fingerprints and DNA during a search of the apartment, but he said he couldn't explain how they got there. The court also heard that police found a number of items during a search of Arrakis' daughter's home in Tallinn, including masks, camouflage noses, bulletproof vests, camouflage clothes, a rifle searchlight and a map of Lithuania. When questioned about this via video link, Arrakis replied, Lithuanian policemen were very strict. They took a map of Lithuania, things I had for more than 20 years, my son's shoes. I don't know who was there. I was in Spain at that time. While the warrant for his arrest claims he was at the scene of the crime, Arrakis denies this and said he was celebrating a birthday at a Spanish restaurant at the time, along with another suspect. Asked about other visits to Lithuania, he said he wasn't there in 2014 or in 2015, but was there in 2016. But it has nothing to do with diamond or criminal activity, he said from his cell. I'm not a criminal. The trial heard a tracking device had been purchased and placed on Diamond's Mercedes-Benz car, while a Renault Megane vehicle, which had been stolen in France, was used by the killers to make their way to the killing. Chemicals used to destroy evidence were purchased in Spain and two nine-millimeter handguns used in the killing were brought to Lithuania by shuttle bus in the backpack of a person who was unaware of the planned crime.
0: There's not many hitmen going around with backpacks and uh, getting the bus into town, you know. Um, we have had a couple of hitmen on, on, on bikes, but I think that was the first on a, with a backpack and a, a, a Dublin bus. Ticket into, into the city centre... But he obviously was one hundred percent relying on the fact that he would be uh, the last. In his mind, he was the last person the Gardaí would be keeping an eye on, and an anonymous Eastern European man, a few years older, going around in the backpack. If they were looking for hitmen, he would be the last person he believed that they would have focus on. But in fact, what what really was the case was there was a major operation to follow him to track him. And they had a very good idea what what, what his aim was. At that stage, the, the level of cooperation between the police forces against across Europe and, and beyond had really, really stepped up a notch. The international police forces had become aware of the close connections with these people and had become aware that Arrakis uh, was coming to Ireland not to travel to, to see some beauty sites, but to carry out a murder.
1: Arrakis continues to serve out his six-year sentence in Portleach Prison. He's currently fighting attempts to extradite him to Lithuania, where he would face charges related to the murder of Diamond. The case is before the High Court in Dublin and will be heard in the coming weeks. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro?